Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. I think it's well worth the watch. And I, I, think, I think that if you were going to make any exception to no more 2018 movies before we do our lists, that is That's the one. one. That is the one. That's literally the one. Because I could also wait until after I shoot the short. You could, but it's also... It, I, I actually wonder if it might be energizing to watch going into a short. Maybe. It has such a disarming effect on you as an audience member. You get wrapped right up in that story. It's very good. It sneaks up on you, don't you think, Brandon? It really knocks you for a loop-de-loop on oh, your are skateboard. We Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it, Peter. <laughs> Could you tell we were recording because we, we became more arch and we're doing bits? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Started speaking in complete sentences instead of, ugh. I can tell. <laughs> Woof! <laughs> Yeah, it's not just Yikes. us. It's not just us moaning anymore. Noodling online. I would be so humiliated if if, if you press the record button, Brandon, while we were all still just like, <sighs> <sighs> just like growling, like Literally Nicole growling. and Destroyer. Uh. Best thing about Nicole and Destroyer is just <laughs> the noises, uh. the guttural and phlegmy noises that come out of her mouth in the, the bathroom when she's she drinking. <laughs> I I think out. I figured. Mom, out. you're fucking drunk. <laughs> she's she's like, where like where 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 can I find uh, what's the guy's name? Like, I don't know. It's like where where can I find the lead boss? And, spider. Yeah, where it's where can, where can spider. I find Spider again? And then Tatiana Maslany, who's like handcuffed to a radiator, is like, I told you yesterday, <laughs> but you were fucking drunk. You were fucking. I realize my biggest problem with Destroyer is jealousy and that the movie features Nicole either driving or picking out of a storage unit very close to both of your individual apartments and I got no love on my side of town. When Brandon and I were watching, she was like driving down Western and I'm like, Brandon, this is where I turned to to come here to watch it. Here we are. And then on my way here today, I passed the storage units Mm -hmm. in the middle of the 101. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where my coven meets. <laughs> I've oh. joked. I've made that joke before. A little <laughs> patch of land next to the storage units. Between the north and south uh-huh. edges of the freeway. In the middle of the freeway. I think, it, I think it's so bold of Destroyer to try and have any sort of iconic moment of criminality mm. on the 101 when yeah. Cassavetes nailed it in the killing of a Chinese bookie. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of taking a stretch of the 101 freeway in your LA movie and defining it as this it forever now will be known as the... You know, Ben Gazzara running across the 101 at the Laurel Canyon exit through yep. wild traffic on the 101. Mm-hmm. And Nicole didn't get it. No. Karin didn't get there. Nicole did not get it. I want to Sad. turn down this light. A Just bit. a little, though. It's glaring. I don't want to be too in the mood for sleep. Ooh. Nice. Or with, with this sensual low lighting, I can just say in the mood for love. In the mood for jewel. Did you like that one? Yes. <laughs> I did. In the mood for lobotomy. In the mood for lobotomy. <laughs> That's my fave joke that I've ever made. It's good. It's a couple years old, isn't it? I, it's been a I, Yes. 
It's uh, this is your new Ellen DeGeneres Netflix special. Wow. Like you have come back after many that's years from off. Here and that, now. That's from Ben's here and now. In the mood for lobotomy. In the mood for lobotomy. What a classic bop. <laughs> Mine is in the mood for lunch. Oh, I am in the mood for lunch. <laughs> it's nighttime. It's literally dinner time. As I was eating breakfast this morning, I was literally like, I could go for a snack right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Mid bite. <laughs> Uh, one of those days you're eating something very boring well no i i had a similar thing today i made lunch and then as soon as it was over i was like i think i'm gonna have some of those cookies tj Mm. made (laughs) like you know what would you know what would hit the spot some of those cookies is that not normal i always eat a meal and then i'm like now it's really time to eat (laughs) (laughs) pull out the snacks and cookies i think i remember last night i i had like a kind of a second meal um because we all got El Coyote yesterday after seeing Eyes Wide Shut at LACMA, not to get too regional about it. Had a little dinner, or no, I had like a snack on my way home from my friend's house where I was watching Mandy. And then I got home and I pulled out the cheese and crackers and I demolished some cheese and crackers. Mm. And then after that, I was like, I love a shark. I'm going to have some of those lemon ricotta cookies. Fuck yeah. Mm. They're so moist. You need, once you have a salty snack, you need a sweet snack. My roommate in college used to say (laughs) that all the time, but it was such, and my my dear friend who I don't know if he, I'd be surprised if he does listen to this, but he probably should listen to it because we're supportive of each other. Mm. But that's what he used to say in college, like in like stoner era college. Like we would have like a salty snack and I'd be like, I'm good. Like, let's go, let's go for a walk in the park. And he'd be Mm. like, no, I gotta have like some candy or like some chocolate. (laughs) Mm. I'm like, that's not a thing. <laughs> like the sweet and salty balance. It is. That is there is not your balance. You need wow. the balance. Brandon, have you seen the film Minding the Thwap? Oh. Jesus Christ. I know that you have. I have. It is a motion picture I've seen and adore. I'm looking forward to telling my Sundance story about it when we do our top 25 oh. list. And I'm just going to brag and brag and brag. Wow. That you saw it first. No, 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 no. It's not about that. Or I can just tell you now. It doesn't matter. But so Bing Lu, not only was Bing Lu there, mm-hmm. but all of the subjects from the film were there. Really? So what about the Kier girlfriend? And I don't think, the, I don't, can't remember the girlfriend, but his mom was there. Kier oh, was wow. there. And then... And then the other guy was there. His yeah. name I can't remember. They were all there. It's wild. How were they doing? Mostly fine. Great. But can you imagine, like, Ben hasn't seen it, but can you imagine, like, one of the characters who certainly behaves badly throughout the film and is really an example of <laughs> men behaving badly. How toxic the cycles of violence. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can you imagine, like, being in a packed audience at, like, the most important American film festival where everyone has just watched you be a dirtbag. Yeah. And then standing in front. Can you imagine just like the stage fright or just the shame? He, that I mean, would be me going into any room I've ever been in. <laughs> so you're like, I can imagine it pretty well. Yeah. Ben, you got to watch this motion picture. I, I will. Someday. It's quite a picture. Someday. It's when you're watching a movie. It, when you're watching a picture that starts out as sort of YouTube DIY skateboard videos and then turns into a touching meditation on the way that we grow our men in this country. You might be watching what we like to call minding the thwap. <laughs> uh, 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 okay. Are you doing I scales? I was just doing some beatboxing. I was going to say, remember when it won best editing? What critics group was that? L.A., baby. Oh! Oh, hometown pride. Oh, we are good. The L.A. critics were on it they this nailed, year. They're always on it. They were lit. They're always on it. But yes, this year good. especially, they were on year. it. They were lit. The, we don't have any like awards to talk about this week. Thank I think, God. Which is fucking great. 
That's what a tonic. What it really is. What a tonic. tonic. When you said, well, let's talk about the forthcoming wars. <laughs> okay, sure. I don't know what the were. fourth. I thought you said forthcoming wars. I'm like, oh, oh the water wars. Let's oh, go there. Yeah, the culture wars. Oh. Ew. The war on Christmas. <laughs> Most importantly, <laughs> the war arrived. in which we are currently in the throes. Mm. Have you seen the meme? Of the girl lying down and she has a boot yes. on her head. Okay. Should no, I describe expl- it for our, it to our listeners? anyone listening. So it's a picture of this girl with a boot on her head and she's like smushed in the dirt and she is labeled as Christmas. 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 Christians. Christians. And the boot is labeled the war on Christmas. And then you pull out to see that it's her own hand in the boot. Mm-hmm. Smushing her own face. Putting the war on face. Christmas atop herself. <laughs> it is an imaginary enemy. <laughs> mood it's, i love it, it's very much the victimhood. it's it's very much like the jean tierney and leafer to heaven oh. throwing herself down the stairs kind mm. of moments oh hell yeah it's very much that mm. very much that zero. except we respect that oh we love that but but the right wants you to believe that like the drowning brother is yeah. christmas <laughs> and jean tierney in the boat and leave her to heaven is the war on christmas yes oof when I watched that with you, Ben, Spoiler I was like, alert. wow. Sorry. You are her. I feel like those are the iconic moments you're steal- the film. You're spoiling a 70-year-old film. Uh, Someone may not have seen it. I'm going to let myself out the front door. Wow. Bye-bye. That was a Bye. good movie. It is. IMO. The good nitrate movie. printed uh, TCM. I would like to know where, because I think they like fly-in prints, mm. not just, because TCM is not based in Los Angeles. It's based in Atlanta, but then the festival is out here, so... They're able, and it's TCM, so they're able to like pull from everywhere. But right. I really hope that nitrate print is like in the UCLA archive because I would love to see it again. I would love, You'd love to you break guys in to and it steal again. it. I would love to chop lift it. I want to chop the print lift of the uh, print. Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street that I saw was brand new. What? It was a new archival print. And they who just struck? Did the studio pay for it, or did the archive? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Is that the New Beverly? So I don't know what archive. If it was just, do they only work through their personal collection? Mm-hmm. I assume they pull. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so wondering I don't if know they pulled it. Who it. I just don't know what studio did that. When does this episode drop? Before. Uh, yeah. New the Year, tw- yeah, Christmas great. Eve. Yes, Perfect. that's right. Well, then I'll Eve. wait until the next episode to talk about how excited I am for um, The Godfather mm. at the New Beverly. Yes. Mm. I feel bad I haven't made it to the New Beverly yet this month, but it's I been know. really busy. No. I haven't either. It's been like hard to get asshole. tickets, too. Is it, though? I mean. Just like the, the couple of like. I don't like waiting. Things, I like I having my ticket. I agree. Well, I should have already bought, because we've talked about this. It used to be with MoviePass. But it sold out you, in like you a would, day. The whole December calendar sold out in like But I a haven't, day. I, maybe you guys have, but I haven't seen any stories online, anybody tweeting angrily about how they didn't get into it. Like it seems like most people are, as long as you show up, you know. Yeah, I think there was just a mad rush online. Uh huh. But it's okay. I just, I, I have to. Because they do hold tickets for the day. Of. Right. right. I have to remind myself two things. One, that. I am used to waiting an hour at the New Beverly because right, with MoviePass, you would use it. Mm-hmm. You would not purchase online because you couldn't use your MoviePass through that right. system. So you would wait. And so I have to remind myself, like, there's nothing wrong with waiting in that right. line. It's fine. Yeah. And then the second piece I have to remind myself is, but there's no reason to wait in the line because there is no, no movie, movie pass, pass anymore for yeah. the New Beverly. So why you might as well just purchase it online. You're That's spending right. the exact same amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, sure The Godfather's already sold out, but I'm confident I'll I want to see Gremlins. Yeah, Does anyone want to go to Gremlins? What, what day? I, don't, I, I fly the 29th and the 30th. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd love to see Gremlins. Wait, it's, like a, it's like a kitty afternoon. Can we go to a, the a kitty 29th? Matinee. Yeah, let's go on the 29th. Let's yeah, go. that's when we're... Listeners, go, join us. We'll go straight after therapy. Oh, so we'll go so see we can, Gremlins and, and then, then we'll record? We record. <gasps> I think that's right. Is it Gremlins 1 or 2 or both? It's just one because it's an afternoon, so it's not a double. Cute. Cute. Okay. 
Yeah, that's fine. Because you know, oh, I'm seeing The Godfather there on the 30th. Mm. So, sure. My dumbass thought when you were seeing Miracle on 34th, I thought it was like the, the 1990 whatever four. remake yeah. with Matilda Girl. The, I with specified Wilson. the original. No, the one where all the Santas with the sacks of mail, right? Mm-hmm. Come like marching in the courtroom. Where I'm Santa Claus. It's a really no, weird I'm Santa movie. Claus. What was playing after the Santa Claus? No. Santa Claus colon the movie, which they showed a trailer for before the other movie I saw, and it looked hilarious, but I just couldn't stay for two movies. But it's really at the end of a Miracle on 34th Street when Maureen O'Hara, strong, confident woman, is finally broken, and she believes in Santa Claus. She says to the love interest... I'm. I was just my silly common sense got in the way. <laughs> oh wow! We love Maureen O'Hara. It's here. a very yikes movie. Well, yikes. there's been a lot of yikes conversation around Maureen O'Hara lately, because um, she's the one who stars opposite John Wayne in The Quiet Man, right? Mm-hmm. So The Quiet Man is the first. I'm sure it was the first Ford movie I ever saw. It might be the first John Wayne movie I ever saw. Because I was, I couldn't have been more than nine or ten years old, and I remember being so struck by Maureen O'Hara mm-hmm. and how headstrong she is. Yeah. But then, if you haven't read the Manolo Dardis piece about um, growing up as a film lover, as a woman, and how the movies, oh yeah, and the movies have certain messaging around various themes that she breaks out in the piece. Mm-hmm. She she dissects the scene. I where don't know about this. She di- piece. it's it's a great piece. It mm-hmm. has a, it, it's it, it's a wonderful piece. Everybody should read. It was it. recent. Yeah, yeah, in the last like month, month or so. Yeah, okay. I saw but she oh, breaks when I down Google a... Manola Dargis, ca- a picture of Catherine Bigelow comes up. Hell yeah. And labeled as Manola Dargis. Hello. I think Manola listens to this program. Yeah, so I bet she does. Manola, you might want to get that check. I want to get so. Google on the horn. Thank you, Amy Taubin. I loved that in the film comment podcast when they were talking in, at the at Cannes this year when they were discussing Under the Silver Lake, mm-hmm. which here, like, it's hard. Like, it, it is. You know, not to get too regional about it, but it is so regionally familiar to us. But they were all like, and I feel like Silver Lake is some neighborhood in Los Angeles. And then Amy Amy Talbot is like, yes, I believe that's where Manola Dar just Uh lives. Oh, yeah. Cute. How cute. I I wish I was Manola's avocado that she tucks in her bag when she, or maybe even in her pocket when she goes onto the quavette. What? Yeah. For years, she would talk about, or she would tweet a little about avocado. She would sneak an avocado into movies at Cannes to show just that to say "fuck off." That the security is bullshit. Florence Foster, fuck yourself to security at Cannes. Fuck yeah. Mm. What were mm. you going to say about her piece, though? Yeah, it, well, derailed. Oh, it was derailed. It's fine. I mean, it, she. I think I believe it's the formative example in the piece, but she breaks down a scene in The Quiet Man that involves John Wayne stealing. Physically, a kiss uh-huh. from Maureen O'Hara, mm-hmm. and how at the door, yes, and how different it was watching that as a child, and then watching it now, and realizing the 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 lessons that it the quote unquote lessons that it is forcing upon right. young women, right? Uh, and then she uses that to then not even as an earth text, but just as a jumping off point to then discuss it, and not just not just that era of Hollywood, mm-hmm. but up to now in the more contemporary stuff. I wow. want to read it. I'll bookmark it. It's I just did you pulled it? it up. What yeah. the movies taught me about being a woman by Manola Dargis. Uh, and th- yeah. it has this banner of a hundred gifts of the Maureen O'Hara kiss. Oh, wow. Look at him. Look at her go. Wow. And that moment is reprised in E.T. Ah. And they literally cut to the quiet man. Oh, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. E.T. is watching it on the television. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Cute. E.T., not that quiet. I don't know <laughs> E.T.'s gender, but not that quiet. Speaking of male gaze, I like that thing you put sent in the group chat, Ben, today. Oh, about yeah. If it I'm, was a woman undressing by the record player, mm-hmm. we would see her undress. So we got on the director's the gays get cut. to see Stefan James get down to his whitey tighties. On the director's cut, where Paul Thomas Anderson interviewed Barry Jenkins, loves his close-ups when he wasn't just be fangirling, which is most <laughs> of the interview. Somehow they got onto the sex scene, and Barry said that he showed the movie to some female friends, Mm -hmm. and they were like, you know, if you are really going to tell this movie from Tish's point of view, you need to cut to Stefan James undressing by the record player, because if it was a woman, you would objectify her, and she should objectify him. It's so erotic. His, it's the most erotic moment of the gets year. gets caught on the zipper a little bit and bounces. What? <laughs> Wait. I've, I'm having PTSD that you tweeted that. <laughs> yes. That was... <laughs> Out of Toronto. Yes, I noticed it the first time I saw it at 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what a fun way to tumble into this dick. conversation. I've seen it twice, and I don't remember his dick getting caught We'll pull his. it up on the screener. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me viewing. let me get it out of my bag. We can do it right now. <laughs> Take a this screenshot. Is a, this is a visual medium. So. Make it a GIF. Mm, that dick. You know how to make GIFs? <sighs> Not from a DVD. None of us have a CD drive, though. I do, but I have it's permanently one on my, broken. On my old laptop, if it turns on, sometimes it like takes a minute to warm up. It's going to be ni- worth it. It's nice that you kept it. Yeah, it's. Well, I only kept it because I have the DVD player in it. Nice. And that I don't was not have one. Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, hello everyone. This is Movies IMO. My name is Ben MP. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. Today we are here to talk about Barry Jenkins' masterpiece, If Beale Street Could Talk, um, which I also learned on this episode, he went to Belgium to write If Beale Street Could Talk, and then just to warm up, he adapted Moonlight. In 10 days. Oh, LOL. <laughs> that was his warm-up. I love yeah. that, and we were just talking yeah. about the new Beverly, but that totally squashes the Tarantino mythology around going to Amsterdam to write Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. Goes to Belgium, quickly fires off an Academy Award-winning screenplay, yeah. and then follow, wrote ch- immediately chases back it Back-to-back masterpieces. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> insane. Of, and, and of course, these are just the scripts. It's yeah. not his approach to shooting them, but two movies that, while certainly feel joined by a common set of DNA. Yeah are very different movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, of course, he'd made Medicine for Melancholy before this, which is also a very different movie. Yeah, I meant the to narrative watch that. and style. I didn't have time. Um, it's just like, I'm just thinking about it in terms of, like, how much can you call this, this script a departure, mm-hmm. like, from Moonlight, when he banged them out in roughly the same period. Yeah, yeah. They, they feel like they have a shared, like, he was in, he clearly in the same headspace working on both writing both of these but my point is is that if that's true and then he was still able to conjure up two again linked but distinct pieces of yeah. writing like this just like wow his mind literally listen up ones that beale street is talking his literal uh. mind beale street is about young tish who has just found out that she is pregnant and her fiance has recently gone to jail for a crime that he did not commit, raping a woman. And it is a story told through 
flashbacks of their love, of conceiving the baby, of looking for an apartment for when they get married, and in the present, trying to exonerate Fani. As well as having a strong emphasis on each of their family lives and the way that their family members communicate around them. And really fleshing out all of the minor characters. Something that happens in the book that is not in the movie, Mm -hmm. towards the end, is uh, Fani's sisters get humanized. Oh, yeah. And it's it's very brief, but it's very good. And I think... I mean, it all left on the cutting. I think they're humanized in the scene in the movie. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're obviously villains, for lack of a better word. I wouldn't say villains. That there are villains in this movie. They are not the sisters. Right. But the way that they come to their mother's defense. Yeah, that's true. Just in in, in how they're saying, like, all she was doing was talking. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure she deserved physical abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, like, you all know that she's. you, you all know that she was like prone to getting upset anyway, her, so mm-hmm. you should not be treating her as wild, like yeah. violently as you are. Yeah, like they're you should... coming from pla- a place of compassion. And well, compassion like... and protection, yeah. which is what so much of the movie is about for me. It's like that. Like I put this in my letterbox log, but I think about it in terms of like shelter and storm, mm-hmm. and that's its own form of shelter. The the relationship with um, with Fonny's mother and yeah. Fonny's sisters. Mm-hmm. What's our homework? I. (laughs) (laughs) This side of the table still illiterate. I I had a private moment with Brandon at Al Cuddy yesterday where I was like, I do not like that we did this this week. (laughs) I feel really bad about this. I can read a fucking book. (laughs) I read If Beale Street Could Talk. (laughs) And they. Congratulations. They read the words that they knew. (laughs) Since gays are illiterate, it was like a reader. Oh, You're boy. just underlining the <laughs> over and over. So I I did finish the book, but I only read a and the. Mm. I only made it thirty pages in, but I only knew about five words, so it was a pretty quick read. Um, I'm a pretty big stan of James Baldwin. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pop, pop off, off for a second. Do it. I'll eat a pretzel. I've read now four James Baldwin books. And they've all been within the past, like, four years. Which ones? Name them. Go Tell It on the Mountain, Another Country, Giovanni's Room, which I read, like, once every four months, and now If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, I'm going to do a, let's do a Sean Spicer impression. James Baldwin is the greatest American writer, period! (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's fucked up that you can get through American school and not read him. I completely agree. When yeah. you get Todd the Great Gatsby every fucking year, at least yep. where I lived. Oh, yeah. Um, and no one, no one is better than James Baldwin. It's kind of crazy to me that I read Huck Finn in high school uh-huh. and didn't even know who James Baldwin was until college. Yeah. I know, same. It's fucked up. Of course, speaking as a uh, white person here. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's gay. Yeah. He's not only black, he's gay. He is... A double no-no for the American school system in terms of the curriculum, what they want to project into the hearts and minds of young uh, students. Even though we'll read Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Because Uh, he's white and Southern. Read Barbara Kingsolver. Me too. Which one? The Poisonwood Bible. Oh, no. We read uh, Animal Dreams, I think it's called. I don't know. I don't know, but that's... That's Barbara Kingsolver, right? Yeah. Anyway. Um... 
So yeah, that's my that's my rant about James Baldwin. It's a great rant about James Baldwin. It's also the best plot description we've ever had on the wow. show. Wow, correct. It's all it's because there's no plot in this movie. I mean, traditionally speaking, yeah. No, it's told in measures that are just these movements, movements, mm-hmm. beautiful movements. Like a play some music. I um yeah I I have heard people say it co- as a compliment how well. Jenkins straddles the literary aspect of the adaptation mm-hmm. and making it cinematic, specifically around the flashback structure. I think that's a little simplistic, even though I think that's certainly true from the 30 pages I read in the book. And maybe you can shine more light on that in terms of the adaptation. But for me, I don't think it's necessarily literary just because he's been able to weave a story in the present and the past together in a, yeah. in, in, a, in a series of movements and chapters and installments and make it feel as if they're all pieces of one whole. I don't think that makes it literary. I think that that makes him, as we have spoken about before, Ben, a symphonic filmmaker. He, mm-hmm. he knows exactly how to conduct not just his mise-en-scene and his performances, but the structure of the film yeah. itself. What I actually think is that James Baldwin's writing is cinematic. Like, literally, I think I underlined it, but it'll take me too long to find. There's literally a moment that just you says... You underlined it for a reason. It just says, mama's face, semicolon, daddy's face, period. That's the sentence. And that's <laughs> a shot-reverse shot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how James Baldwin writes. And it's evocative, and it's rich, and it's detailed, and it's layered. And Except it is actually it's all, of, all those of those things. It's <laughs> literally all of those things. I want to read in another country. I haven't. That's the one I'm most, my most keen on reading. In another country is the Hong Sang Su. Oh, it's yeah. just another country. How funny! <laughs> Have we all seen in another country I the Hong Sang Su? We should do a we should do an in another It'd country. I wish I would like yes. to see more Hong Sang Su. Same. I think I've seen seven, which Damn. is a drop the in the one. bucket. I've seen right now, wrong then, on the beach at night alone, day after. Yeah, because didn't Hotel have... by the River, in another country. He has three movies. Claire's a camera. Year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I've also seen. No one cares. There's another one I've seen too. Yeah, he had like three last year. Is that right? I think I've seen yourself and yours. Mm. I think. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. But I didn't. But in Claire's camera, there's a poster of yourself and yours in That's the really funny. in the in the off the office in Cannes that the mm-hmm. filmmaker is working How on. How meta! So meta! So, I love meta. So meta! I love. Meta. Maybe I'll watch Gone Girl after this. Ah. Uh. Yes. Okay, anyway. where I'd like to start. Yes. Where please. I would like to start. You're in you're in you're the captain. Um I actually don't know where I'd like to start. Why don't we talk about structure? I've, I've lost yeah, my mind. the structure yeah. of it. I wanna, that's where I was going. It doesn't it fully fade to black two times? Is that right? I don't remember. Just those moments stand out because that's where it really feels like, okay, now on to the next. Yeah. The ne- you know, symphony could be divided into yeah. three and it feels like there are a lot of punctuation marks in this movie. Yeah. Um the thing that has real the the scene that has stayed with me that I think about every day for three months mm-hmm. is when Fanny runs into Daniel on the street. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And Brian Tyree Henry has the goofiest smile on his face, mm-hmm. and there's and some, it's in slow motion. Yeah, it's slow motion. There's some bop playing. It's mm-hmm. a sunny day in mm-hmm. Harlem. Mm-hmm. I don't. It just that is, the and it m- starts on that big yes, wide. on the huge, the really far wide, and it just uh, that was the moment I realized, oh, this is a this is a piece of music. The whole movie, like everything, it's like we are in this movement. We're in the movement of telling everyone that the baby is being born. Well, and then we're in. It's crosscut with them 
fucking for the first time. Mm-hmm. And something we should say here in terms of these movements is how well matched they are to mood. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing about this movie. Like, it's it's extremely atmospheric in terms of emotional location, mm-hmm. I think. Like, e- each of these stretches feels entirely distinct in their mood while also feeling like they, they inform what comes after it and what comes before it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole sequence with Daniel, including the monologue, which I would love to dive into, maybe not right this second, but it's maybe the scene of the year, or the sequence of the year. Brian Tyree Henry is my supporting actor of the year. Well, Mm -hmm. you know what Paul Thomas Anderson thinks is the scene of the year. What? It's Regina and the wig. Oh, well, I said sequence, so yes. Well, that that, that for me is... is, is her best moment in the film, and and probably just the best moment of performance. Mama period. gets into what is she? What is the line? Mama it's, takes. Um, the well, part. that's that's my favorite moment of the movie. So the the line is, um, Tish says, "I'm sorry." It's the voiceover. In a voiceover, Tish says, "Sorry, everyone." Just sit. Mama gets sit with our Mama gets to Puerto Rico on an evening plane, and that's that shot. Uh, Regina King. In her little bonnet and the sunglasses, mm-hmm. that, and it, that and shot it, from the trailer, and, and the score just swells. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. shot like Sherbert, just how yeah. sun dappled yeah. everything is, and mm. the cream color is like the peach and the you know orange and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, when she gorgeous. goes and talks to Pietro in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. when I read that in the book, I was like, oh, that's not in the movie, but it is <laughs> in the movie. I just had forgotten about it because the scene with her and Victoria Rogers is so insane. That I had forgotten. That While we're here, let's talk about it. Since since we're here, we're mm-hmm. here, and then we'll get back to Daniel, the character. It's, Daniel. Al- it's always about Daniel, the, the character Daniel, <laughs> and then we'll and we'll get back to Daniel talking about Daniel. Uh, I don't need to talk about Daniel. <laughs> it's, it's too meta. Uh, oh my god, she so meta. Regina King Sharon goes to Puerto Rico to try to get the woman who is accusing Fonny of rape to retract. And to say that it wasn't him, she's talking to her, and she's hitting the point of desperation. And Victoria is like, "No, I know for sure it was him." And Sharon's like, "No, you didn't. Like, you were raped in the dark. You saw funny in the light." And then what she does is she touches Victoria's cross to try to appeal to her Christian sensibility. And Victoria freaks out because she's being touched against her will. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's a really deep confluence of these moments. I think that Victoria is afforded a lot of humanity that I think a lot of other movies wouldn't give her. If she... I mean, she's not the villain, but she is ostensibly, she's an obstacle to be overcome. Yeah. But she is, her trauma is treated with care. And I mean, this comes from the Baldwin. Like, this is what happens in the book. And that's, no one doubts that she was raped, but everyone is just trying to get her to see things in a different perspective. And that, they know that she's going to have to relive the moment to be able to tell that it's not funny. And then, yeah. Shit. Talking about her, talking about, uh, talking about Victoria as an obstacle. I think it's important. And, and, and about how much humanity has afforded her in the film. And I would also assume in the novel, you have to think about the other obstacle there, which is that she, 
her testimony has been completely tainted and influenced by the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just a matter of, of them bringing five people in for a lineup and her pointing to Fani. Like you have to imagine that she was being worked over. And doesn't she say specifically, like I was told to pick him. I don't, I don't remember that, but I do know that the, the, the they cop- discuss in the book more that Fani is the only black person in the lineup. And mm. they brought in some Latin people. They brought in a couple white people. And Fani was the only black person. I just think it speaks to how the police are able to manipulate mm-hmm. um, citizens mm-hmm. into uh, just being an extension of their own injustice. Yeah. And that's partly why I find Victoria to be so compelling. And mm-hmm. especially in that scene where, where Regina King is, uh, Sharon, is trying to... You know, get get her to uh, to see the light on this issue, and to maybe not like poke holes in her testimony, but to just explain very matter of factly like how what she says can't isn't couldn't possibly be true based on yeah. certain factors. It's there. There's not even really. I mean, like it seems like for Sharon, like the answer is to speak to her like woman to woman, but because there has been this influence by the police that is in the that that for me is in the middle of the entire scene mm-hmm. that like goes beyond the the two women like reckoning Mm -hmm. with their own humanity there. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something it's like Victoria says with such conviction that she knows it was funny though. And it's like, she has convinced herself that it was so she can move on from it. Yeah. And be done. And the film asks you to sympathize with the fact that she's gone through a truly horrendous experience and that it's like, and you can see in Sharon's eyes the the pain that she feels having to do this mm-hmm. to get this woman to open this can of worms. And again. she and she knows it's coming too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sharon doesn't go into this scene in any sort of naive context mm-hmm. where she thinks mm-hmm. she's going to be able to very easily flip her, yeah, you know, flip her perspective on this flip her testimony and for me there, there's so much baked into the the scene in front of the mirror where she is putting on her wig and then taking off her wig yeah. and sort of pulling out her natural hair mm-hmm. i think she's thinking about a lot of things in that scene but one of them is just how she's already lost or or, or, or she's going right. to give it her all but she's fighting a losing battle yeah yeah which is what, which is so basically many. what, like all of the characters. I think Tish is the only one who. I think everybody has hope, and everybody's a true believer that mm-hmm. if they work hard enough, they can get Fonny out right. of jail. But I think that I think that certainly the adults and in, in both of the families understand that it's not just an uphill battle, but the odds are um, extraordinarily stacked against them. And I don't mean mm-hmm. to say that Tish doesn't have a conception of that; she certainly does. But I just think it's it's so. Something that's because she also has to believe it. Of course, no. Of, of, Emotionally, of, of course. Yeah. Um, there is it, it, based on some, I mean, just some of the like the harsher um, aspects, and just like speaking very real truths about um, about police discrimination, about racism in America, what it means to be black in America, and which is not my perspective. Obviously, just the perspective the film has given me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean to say that Tish is that 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 Tish is naive, uh, but I love that the family understands what is stacked up against them, that they still pour all their hearts and souls into it. And it gets to what the family or what the movie is saying about family yeah. and love and unbreakable bonds. Mm-hmm. And and that's why like, but what I was trying to say, and then I forgot what I was going to say. Like it feels weird to use the word lovely to describe this movie because yeah. there is so much uh, just brutal and humanity in this thing. But there are stretches that are absolutely lovely to me. And it's lovely yeah. because of the love present. Yeah. 
I love that it's both. Yeah. It's brutal and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, something that struck me reading the book is that the book, I think, is incredibly angry, and I don't think the film is as angry. All of the things that happen in the movie, it's it takes on more of a twinge of sadness than anger, and I wonder if that's because... Barry Jenkins is telling the story with the hindsight of 50 years on from when the novel was written. Yeah, I mean, we're very much living in the same America, so I don't know if it's I don't know if it's just the time that's passed yeah. as much as it might just be Barry Jenkins' own sensibilities mm-hmm. as a storyteller. Yeah. Because it's certainly present. Yeah. But you think about the last shot of the movie where you have Fonny and then Fonny Jr. And, and a little cute baby. Cute little baby who's coloring. He... um. He added that, right? Yeah, that's that's not in the not book. In the book. I buy that, but there's no flash but there, there's something about how you have this beautiful family together at this mm-hmm. table, but you have to consider context and environment away from just the palpable love at the table, and that's like so much of where the impact of the movie comes to me, like yeah. in between those two things, where you are just you are marveling at the um, just gorgeous rendering of human connection and um, uh, just loyalty and love. And then you take a step back and you consider why these people are in the situation that they are in. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes like bittersweet and melancholy almost seems to like, uh, like daffodils about it. Romantic. Right. And it is romantic, but it's capital R romantic. Right. Um, I guess it just it provokes a singular reaction to me mm-hmm. that, that that exists somewhere in bittersweet melancholy, but those yeah. words are a little a little too positive, I think. Yeah, yeah. Cause, the material. Because Barry Jenkins at that interview, he said like he, the way the book ends, he didn't want to end it because he wanted to give it some sort of grace note where it's yeah. like, yeah, the ending's still depressing because of the situation they're in, but at least like you said, you they have that love yeah. and that bond, even if it's inside of them. And again, I think the movie is ultimately about the shelter we build from the storm. And that final shot is all of it for me. Mm -hmm. That's true. And I missed it the first time, but the second time, what Fonny Jr. is writing is the date that Fonny's out. Is that right? I believe that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I missed it the first time because when she says... He ever since I told him that's all he wrote, yeah. and I was like, "What? What is he writing? Yeah. Oh, the date. Mm-hmm. the date." Does she say how long his sentence is? I don't remember. I don't think. I'm so. not sure we get it, and it, it's fine if it's in there, but I kind of like the idea that it doesn't need to be in there because right. the she ima- just says he takes the plea. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. But that the that the story <laughs> is the injustice itself. The right. story is right. like, it doesn't matter if it's ten years or one year. Mm-hmm. It's it is on its face an injustice. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that it that detail is not in the movie, only because it's completely beside the point. Right. Yeah. But uh, but maybe it is. I don't know. I don't think it is. Should we get back to Daniel? Daniel, take Dan- us to Daniel. Dan- Daniel is back. Well, I mean, this is. I don't feel like I need to anchor this just because I share the same name as <laughs> Daniel. I think. <laughs> Why Bri- not? It's fun. Brian Tyree Henry, as I said already, I think is my supporting actor of the year, and that monologue he, in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, we are with Fonny in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, experience in in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, we are watching Fani get that bloody eye. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to right. because of the way that the, the just the way that Barry Jenkins is building this, just the way he's building this story around it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the one we get like the distance and the longing between the two but then yeah. separately in daniel's monologue you learn everything you need to know about yeah. it yeah and there's the danger of being fetishistic about mm-hmm. uh prison violence about racism in in, in the prison maybe yeah. like it's it's just so and again like elegant feels like the wrong word because mm-hmm. what daniel is saying is hugely upsetting yeah. because of how hard-hitting and deplorable the truth is that yeah. he's getting at but it says it all and you can't accuse him of like sh- uh telling not showing because the way that that monologue is captured in the close-up and the yeah. way that entire sequence is presented mm-hmm. is, is is so all-consuming like it's mostly like two guys like catching up hanging out then they have a lovely dinner and then in the middle there's just this searing monologue about being black in america yeah mm-hmm. the way that conversation morphs and changes over the court i don't think it's like 10 minutes long or something yeah Ugh. i mean it's it's it is perfect in its yeah. filmmaking and perfect in its performance mm-hmm. and it's i mean i don't know this is one of those movies where i feel like i'm having trouble articulating because i'm like it's one of those movies where i just want to be like it's a fucking masterpiece it does basically everything right just go see it yeah <laughs> real quick yeah. it, 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 it's not a message movie but the messages that it has which are so fundamental to its humanity it delivers flawlessly so I almost don't know what the point is in like one of us trying to recite like every little thing that this movie yeah. does and like what's the fucking point of that we're not mm-hmm. going to say it half as well and also as three white guys around this table yeah. like it's not really our place to preach about it anyway like that's the power of this movie and I haven't felt that way about a movie we've talked about here in a long time. Just that it's, I just like would like it to speak for itself. Yeah. And the movie does. It's like the rare time when I'm like, mm, I just like, let's wrap this up in 45 minutes. Like yeah. everybody go see the movie. Like, all right. there's just no, okay, I, bye. no, I mean like there, there's <laughs> okay, a lot, bye. there's so much conversation we had about yeah. it, but it's just in terms of like spelling out what it's doing. I'm just catching myself here. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't really see the point of doing this. Like yeah. the movie just does it so well. Yeah. I just wanted to quote Naomi Ekparrigan, the comedian, who has a joke that she will never see a nutritionist because she's not going to make a list of everything she ate to show someone to tell them, do you see? And that's <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I want to do to people with this movie. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, I don't need to explain, just watch the movie and you'll see it. Yeah. You'll see what I see in it. Yeah. I don't know how anyone could dislike this movie. I don't think anyone does, but I'm just, well, it's not like there, there's a lot of scroll far down enough. I don't do the discourse on this one. Yeah, no, and we don't, and we don't need to. I'm not engaging. It's, 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 let me just say, it's dumb. Yeah. Any complaints are stupid. I could, I've seen a few and they're all dumb. Thank you. I love that this is an elitist program. They're <laughs> dumb. They do you are. want me to say what they are? No. They say it doesn't have a plot. Wrong. Who said that? Exactly. No, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't like. I don't like it when we do this, and I'm usually the one who gets us on this point. So I'm going to try and. <laughs> it was save Mick us LaSalle, okay. <laughs> what does Mick have to say about this? I'm movie? just kidding. I'm okay. going to actually pull it. up. It's like Mick LaSalle. It's like Mick's, Mick's one great review. Oh, Marwin officially read on Metacritic. Oh, it's been read since 2 p.m. Huh? Oh. Wait, it's full I read. Don't, I don't. Yeah, it's 39. percent I refresh Metacritic 800 times a day. Good. Good for you. <laughs> I'm addicted. Let's talk about the score. Well, we can. Well, yes, but let's talk about the family scene. I'd love to talk about the family scene. I also, mean, one of the a... scenes of the year. Yeah, 
that goes on for 45 minutes, mm-hmm. give or take. Is that how long it goes on? I don't know. It's a long one. It's a, I know. I love I it. I think it's the whole first act. I mean, mm-hmm. with other things. With their... Cutting in and out of other things. The movie is... Stru- and this is, again, where I'm like, do we have to call it literary? Because it is so structurally adventurous. It's also quite audacious for a movie, and, and also inherently cinematic, to take a conversation in a living room and then stretch it into your first actor, however long it is, yeah. and manage to explore it from dynamic angles. And of course the, the production design and the colors and the period detail are so compelling in yeah. this movie as are just like the lines that are drawn in that room between characters. It's fascinating. And the way yeah. that those allegiances, not that, not that the whole scene is like people constantly changing sides, but the way that there's just like subtle shifts in yeah. allegiance at times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also something so compelling about, the code switching going on in the room, uh, just just the way that different characters are spoken to, and as we were saying, like Jenkins is able to breathe life, as are the actors, like in every single character and performance here, like no matter how small, and I think it's partly just because of how how sharp the dialogue is in terms of how people talk to different people. Yeah, it's it's a very complex little. I mean, it's not a little scene, but it it's complex. Uh, I just when, love uh, Sharon coming home and she's unpacking groceries and she knows from the second she walks in. I'm that obsessed. T- and that's t- that. Tisha's pregnant. In, in Which the, is the first time we meet Regina, right? Uh-huh. In, in the part of the book I was able to read. Yeah. With my limited literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's in the book. She yeah. doesn't even have, Tish doesn't even have to, you probably got to this part too, where Tish doesn't even have to say the say words, it. I think. And yeah. and yeah, that's the first time we see Regina Sharon and and she just looks at her and she just waits, mm-hmm. waits for her to say it. We don't and it's we like don't she see knew it in the it was movie. Coming and we don't. We cut, we cut to a to record. The family, yeah. the rest yeah. of the family has come home. Cut I think it's putting on the record. It's uh, and it intercuts with the family scene to Tish talking about her and Fanny. Right then, you know when they were young and them not really her never looking at him sexually, but them like looking at each other for the first time in that way and that that stuff like fucking kills me because yeah. i think it's that portion of the score yeah that's in the trailer that's when i that that's I the first so time i cried was in that was in yeah that stretch. those mm-hmm. those close-ups those extreme close-ups i'm yes. like his eyes her eyes huh? his lips and, it, and it's the, all that it's stuff. that demi close-up thing where it's just yeah. right into the camera i'm thinking mm-hmm. about so many times during this movie i'm thinking about how much trust must be built between director and performer and just how yeah, that's basically what I mean. Think about how unnatural it is to stare straight into the lens of a yeah. camera as if you were looking at another person and mm-hmm. make it so specific. Like to the, not only the character you're playing, but how you would look at this other person who is not in front of you. You have a piece of plastic yeah. and glass right mm-hmm. in front of you. Like Jenkins's facility with actors is in turn in, in, in his in his generation, I think, mm-hmm. of American filmmakers fairly unparalleled. Yeah. And I think the you know, we talk so much about how great his close-ups are, and I'm sure this is what we mean by it, but I don't hear enough people talk, not that it matters what people are saying, but like, you just have to consider how he's able to draw, how he's able to build that space for a performer to give such an authentic reaction to a piece of plastic and glass yeah. that works for him stylistically and also works for the humanity of the piece. Yeah. It's wild. It is. He talked about... It's a wild life. It's a wild life. <laughs> it's a wild life, Barry. On, uh, on this interview, he talked about he knows which characters he wants to get the the into the direct address shot, but he doesn't tell anyone before they shoot it. Mm. And then on the day, it's like, here we are. You're going to look in the camera today. 
and he uh, he talked about you know we get like seven or eight and like there are four in the movie mm. and it's just we see where they work yeah and that he was like we didn't use the direct address of them looking at each other in the beginning it is they're looking at each other off screen mm-hmm. but at the end they that's when he uses them and that's he talked about they were trying to end the movie and he had no idea what the ending was and he was like oh right we can we can do this yeah one of the sequences toward the end um i think it's the last time we see tish visit fani in prison mm-hmm. and she, he i think he has the eye and she tells him the it's right after puerto rico the trial's been postponed mm-hmm. and she sits in the apartment i think it's raining and the rain builds, and then we do one final flashback to them together, and then some sound design is building. It's like the rain, which yeah. rushes to the point where it's water, and then the baby then comes the baby. up. Mm-hmm. The sound design Holy is shit. insane. It's, it's insane. And that then, sequence is incredible. I, I love the shot composition so much of the of the child being born, yeah. mm-hmm. not just in the inception when you're underwater, or the inception, the birth when you're mm-hmm. underwater. And you almost wonder for a second if he's going like full Tully, <laughs> just like right. breaking to some sort of like abstract underwater shot. Right. And then the ca- if I remember correctly, the camera rises up through the water uh-huh. yep. with the baby. Yes, but then you get this wonderful line drawn of the three generations mm-hmm. on screen. We've yeah. got Regina in the back, you got Kiki Lane in the middle, and then you got the child in the foreground of the frame. And it's this left to right diagonal that's yeah. just a beautiful visual articulation of so yeah. much what the movie is getting at when it talks about family mm-hmm. I, I love the way that regina doesn't go and noodle with the baby until after she's given tish a minute mm-hmm. and i just think that's really sweet i mm-hmm. i think th- so I'll, I'll tie that into what i want to say um you know that scene in bridesmaids where Kristen wig and rose Byrne are having the speech off yeah at, at the at sure the, do at the celebration I know exactly dinner. what you mean yeah and <laughs> And you kind of know where I'm going with this. No, like I where, don't. Where, where Kristen Wiig is losing and needs to prove to Maya Rudolph that she is her best friend and they have a connection and a history and they're able to communicate and just a look what other people have to do in words. And she mm-hmm. just has that like awkward look at her. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Maya Rudolph and she like doesn't get it. But yeah. the sentiment there about how with close friends, with loves, a look matters so much more spiritually and soulfully in terms of communication Mm -hmm. than a conversation might. And that's something I love so much about Barry Jenkins is the way that he, you know, the reason why he's such a, he's such a great dramatist for this medium. We haven't seen him do anything on stage, but that he knows exactly where to deliver a close up. And Mm -hmm. he also, he understands not just where to put that piece in a sequence to build a compelling sequence as a movie, but he knows that, that look alone can communicate so much more than any sort of belabored conversation where we're getting out exposition or whatever. Like he understands that that tells its own story. So getting to back to Regina, it's so crass to put it in these terms, but after her first scene, I was like, well, she already has earned the Oscar nomination in my book because Mm -hmm. when Tish is trying to like work up the courage to tell her that she's pregnant and we can talk about whether Regina already knows just because she's reading her body. She's reading her daughter's body language. But just the way that Regina King is looking at Kiki Lane, mm-hmm. it is it's just tremendous to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the, she's communicating she's so... stealing glances and... She's mm-hmm. communicating so much. I mean, she's much communicating like, an entire life. Much like Sissy Spacek, you can really watch yeah. the explicit thoughts that Regina is having yeah. ripple through across her face. Her face. Yeah. David Sims on Blank Check had a good line about how fun it is to watch Holly Hunter watch people. Mm. And it's similar to like Regina King and Sissy Spacek, not just like watching people, but thinking. Yeah. I yeah. love to watch the thinking. Mm. doing thinking Mm. Regina was doing thinking in this film something that I think hangs over this movie is the specter of the fact that uh, black people couldn't get married in this country for hundreds of years and it is uh, I don't know it's just something that is constantly on my mind both times I watch this movie and the way that Tish's father is like don't think I think you're a bad girl or anything like it's like what it's fine and everyone is just excited to have the baby except for grandma hunt and it just like it is this this is just another horrible white people thing that is happening to them that is preventing them from getting married right and I mean I think that you're talking about love there in the face of hate I'll talk about hate for a second I mean What's his name? Officer Bell, I think is the character's name. The yeah. officer who orchestrates the false imprisonment of mm-hmm. Fonny's false imprisonment. When he sees Tish and Fonny outside the convenience store, you can just see the revulsion in his eyes about two young black people connected. Mm-hmm. I mean, in love. It's not a scene of them being in, in, in grand romantic love, but right. the way that they are protecting one another in that mm-hmm. moment, you can just read the 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 anger that it's rising up in that guy's throat yeah no i think that's absolutely there and that uh the way that he only lets fawny go that night is because the woman who owns the shop was like i know these people the yeah. white woman yeah and bell's I'll, like i've been here long before you and i'll be here long after you're uh, gone so he's what she would have spit in his mm-hmm. face right after. and then fawny throws the tomatoes against the wall and it's oh, which wow. that shot which is evoking the um the uh, I thought the the little girl uh, the the first integrated student in Arkansas. Oh, that's the, I have that thought. Yeah, the wall, yeah. the brick wall that she's walking down mm-hmm. to go into school, and I feel like such a fucking idiot because I can't think of what the school is. Um, but I believe that there is a tomato thrown, which is also obviously evoking blood yeah. and, and and racial violence. I didn't think about that. The that's way that shot like doesn't it, like follow the bag goes and to the goes wall and then, boom, it pulls and then pulls back. out. And it frames Kiki there. It's really violent. It is. um, It is just a really, I mean, again, words that are too nice. It's a poetic image, but it. But it's portraying brutality. Yeah. And in the book, it, uh, Tish goes on to say, well, thank God tomatoes don't make noise or he would have gotten arrested again for doing it. Because you hear the siren. You hear a siren right after he does that. And And I I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah. Bell's back. Because he's... You threw tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. It's... uh, He can't do anything. Well, I think just talking about the sound design and bringing the siren back in, Mm -hmm. it just makes me think about how beautiful the sound is in this movie. Like, the the way that we are able to blend all of these Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. 
every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Scenes together thematically through sound in addition to diegetically. Yeah. Um, trumpet, baby. Ah, uh, okay, let's talk about the music. Okay. The one, the one that really murders me is the one that's in the trailer. I think it's called Agape. Is the piece with the trumpet that sounds like mm-hmm. it's crying? Uh huh. Mm. I just kill me. Literally, the moment the movie started, I started crying the first time I saw it. I just, it is so. The music is so totally overwhelming for me. Yeah, that's how I feel about homework in the mood for love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, that score yeah, is which we'll talk about when we talk about. But I'll just put in that comparison now. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it does that thing of. I mean, it's not like the same piece of music is being repeated throughout. If Bill Street could talk in the same way that these two musical refrains continue to come up through In the Mood for Love, but yeah. because the music in Bill Street is with a similar set of instruments, it's in a similar register, like it does, it has that ability to plant in your mind an emotion based on what you're seeing, the image you're seeing on yeah. screen with what is evoked in the score. Yeah. So that later on, when you hear something that sounds like a piece of music you've heard already, just through and Lucrecia Martel would love this, but just like the the recollection of those sounds in yeah. your ears goes straight to your heart, and that informs what the scene you're about to watch. Yeah, totally. Um, the comparison I wanted to make is that for 50 years we've talked about the facility that Martin Scorsese has matching music, both popular and score, to image and montage, and I think with these. Two recent films, Barry Jenkins, the, mu- the music and melancholy. Is it good? Yeah. Has he's announced himself as the heir apparent in that respect, if not just general greatest American filmmaker status as well. I agree. And I mean, I, I think that classic Man in Moonlight is as iconic as any Jump and Jack yeah. Flash yeah. here in a Scorsese movie, for sure. And it's just the the first time we're introduced to Victoria Rogers. There's the the guitar it's like and then you get this pan shot on the roof Mm -hmm. and it's also the first time that we have like a cool color scheme it's so and it's the first non-romantic music in the movie and it is so unsettling and it's flawlessly done i'm just thinking about the juggling of i don't want to go as far as like different stocks and stuff but just different styles different color palettes in this movie that they don't feel jarring they just feel well articulated Mm -hmm. Um, and I think about the way that Jenkins includes photographs of black Americans who are being brutalized throughout the movie. He's, mm-hmm. he, he's interspersing photographs. And it makes me think about a movie that I'm the only one here who has seen, but it makes me think about what Vice does poorly. Mm-hmm. And you can just pretend I'm talking about the big short, but it has these moments where it cuts from the main story that's going on to an image that informs it. Mm -hmm. And in Beale street, it just conjures up this entire history and builds a greater environment. Whereas in vice, it's just like, it feels like someone going out of their way to like be clever about interspersing a disparate image, or it feels like you're just spelling out a history that was already subtextual in the scene. Yeah. 
And Beale Street doesn't have that problem. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I think that sometimes like just the simple act of cutting to a still image in a movie can make people, you know, ooh and ah, just because it's breaking the traditional format we're used to. And I think of this because we're talking about Scorsese. Um, not that he necessarily does that, but he does it a little bit in The Departed, I think, for instance. Like, just like... That's mm. right. He does, yeah. What I'm getting at is just I agree with Ben about the Scorsese comparison. And if you, especially if you look at If Beale Street Could Talk Next Device on this device, you really... I think it, the 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 um, the disparity between talents in those movies becomes crystal clear. Wonderful. Oh, can't wait for our <laughs> Vice episode. Um, I would also like to say I love in the... The family sequence that all of the rivers is are tied together with the color green, and all of the hunts are tied together with the color yellow. Mm. Except Tish is both green and yellow. <gasps> That's the other thing about this movie, Best like costume design, and especially in that scene. I was really marveling at how Jenkins is able to evoke the period through costume, mm-hmm. through production design, just the general mise en scène. Yeah. But that. He he is still doing something akin to like a fastbender or a cirque, and that he's using color mm-hmm. evocatively and yeah. vividly mm-hmm. to to tell his story. While also, it's just flawless period detail. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's interesting to me. The it's interesting just to to pull off both. Yeah, it's such bold color blocking. Yeah, and I mean, just the is it is it yellow brick behind Fanny in mm-hmm. prison? It's, yeah, it's yeah, that's right. When I was reading what I could of, uh, of the Baldwin novel. I wasn't, I wouldn't have imagined it the way that Jenkins brings it to life in the first scene, the first conversation between Tish and Fanny in, in jail. I mean, obviously Jenkins evokes the feel and the tone and the worldview in, in, from what I read the yeah. first 30 pages brilliantly, but I think it speaks to Jenkins's own sense of style and how he is able to conjure I'll just say what I loved about Moonlight and after I saw Moonlight the first time, I just like couldn't really talk about it. Like, and, and I'm like, I just need to see it again. I was so blown away. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a gape. Yeah. Um, but I would always say like, it is a dazzling symphony of color and sound. Um, and by color, I also include like camera movements and just cinematography in general. And I continue to be floored by it from the get go in this film. Just the, it, the color palette, it doesn't feel, I mean, I, I'm saying Cirque, but I'm saying more that like the colors are not only symbols, but they also carry so much emotion in them. Yeah. But it's not like, it's not Almodovar for instance, even though that's like a very thin line there. But did you think about how colorful the first scenes in, in prison are between mm-hmm. Fanny and Tish and a scene that doesn't necessarily call for it, but he's able to like infuse such a like vivid sense of color without it ever feeling overwhelming or that we're watching a movie. Like, yeah. Or, or, or just like the feeling of what, like the cinematic feeling overcoming the just the pure emotion of the scene. Mm-hmm. I just think that's an incredibly difficult tightrope to walk. Yeah, and Jenkins does it so effortlessly. I also think just um, it takes a very skilled technician to get a digital camera to record colors as vividly as they are in this movie, and that speaks to James Laxton's facility at being able to shoot with the RE. And the lighting as well. Yeah. And it's just, you know, for years, it's been, you know, the reason that 35 remains superior to digital is color saturation. And, you know, he is able to show that there is hope. There's hope in digital. 
it's not all going to be Fincher yellow. Yeah. Not that Fincher doesn't do that for a reason, but other and, people and, follow and Fincher because it's easy. It. Like mm-hmm. Game Night, for instance. It's, it's an easy uh, look to follow for when I, you shoot digital. And, and yeah. yes, there are these bright, vivid, splashy colors in the film, but then you think about just sort of the the rich like mahoganies and I think about like the tin like like the the corrugated tin or like the the pattern tin on the mm-hmm. top of the roof in Fanny and Tish's apartment like that is a much darker space in terms of color mm-hmm. but it feels just as it feels so rich like and like it feels like so the, rich the bedroom when they get together the first time and that that fuck. swirling shot mm-hmm. when Fonny's working on his piece of art and there's mm-hmm. the that's also in the smoke more uh, rich the smoke when Fonny jewels while he's sculpting I thought th- I thought that was sort of a problem that anachronism that yeah that, that Fonny was jeweling jewel. in the middle of you know, his studio you know that's a period detail that slipped by Barry what can we say Barry was doing the Marie Antoinette thing of converses in yeah. Versailles it's yeah. fine it took me out of the movie for a second but I got it's down on the level totally jeweling in Beale Street I tried to do a Guys live in apartments like this, and they think it's fine about King Louis the Sixteenth. But there wasn't a photo of him without in his room with his keys. Yeah, Sad. I thought that would have been really good. That, that would have been, been really good. That would have been funny, wouldn't it have been? Mm-hmm. Why don't we talk about the performances a yeah. little bit? Oh, maybe we can start with Coleman Domingo, who should be getting a Very lot good. more awards buzz than he is. Not that it's about awards buzz, but. I feel it's, it is annoying to me that the awards buzz is Regina and Brian Tyree Henry. Not that well, they don't if deserve Brian it. Brian Tyree Henry is even in the conversation, apart from critically. It's, right. It's in the critics' award conversation. There's this idea that by giving it to Regina King, you are honoring the entire right. ensemble. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you gave four nominations to Silver Linings Playbook, mm-hmm. one in each of those categories. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Jackie if, Weaver's in six minutes of that movie. And she's wonderful. Yeah. But I think Tiana Paris, who I think Tiana Paris is a scene away from being on my ballot. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. Coleman Domingo should be in contention. Obviously, Brian mm. Tyree Henry. I think Kiki Lane is extraordinary. She's a breath of fresh air. A star is born. I think Stefan James is fantastic. I, I think some people love that performance more than I do. I don't dislike it. I'm very moved by it. But Stefan James was not my like main takeaway. Apart, he's from, one of my favorites. Yeah, and, and so maybe you can talk about that because, and again, I think it's a great performance, but it wasn't it wasn't the one that I left the movie mm-hmm. so uh, just like stunned by compared yeah. to some of the others. He just, I don't know. I look into his eyes and I feel, mm. I feel yeah, things. You do. And this is but what I, I mean. Like, a look is enough. Like, yeah. I love how much this movie is built on looks. Yeah. And it's be- it's because Jenkins I casts how well and trusts her. performers. Yeah, I yeah. do too. You know, too. and it just moves me how much he loves her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like for Coleman Domingo. There's the scene where Kiki Lane Tish is having morning sickness or whatever she's having. She's barfing, and then he mm-hmm. holds her. Yeah, I like that too. He's like, just sit with me. I love when that scene. Is I like the scene with him and Mr. Really, Hunt. In the uh, that's bar. what I was going to bring. Yeah, up. that's yeah, where they're it's, trying to figure out how are we going to do this. Do you want to know how the book ends? Or sure. Do you wanna, yeah, the book ends with Mr. Hunt has uh, lost his job and he disappeared, and they found him in his car upstate. Oh wow! End of novel. Jeez. And it's just like totally hopeless oh my god yeah. and there's no resolution with fun yeah so in that interview that's what barry was referring to he was like i mm. cannot he yeah. didn't want to end it like that um and it starts 
with that scene where Mr. Hunt is like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, like literally, and he's right to ask those questions. What can we do? And what's it? Frank, which one is which Joseph Frank is Mr. Hunt. Joseph is just like, well, we never worried about it before. Like you always make it work. We've made it to this bar right now mm-hmm. and we've been dealing with all these same problems. It's yeah. just now in a different, it's the same, it's, it's the same problems, but now it's a different context. Yeah. And that's what I mean about how like Tish is the one true believer because she has to be and because she's in love and if she's going to have this baby and if she's just going to wake up tomorrow, she has to be the one who is, you know, if she, it's the sort of thing, like she's the leader. Like that's something that we haven't talked about. Something I love in the movie is just Tish as a leader. Um, like I love the scene with her and Finn Whitrock where she's like, no, it, we, you're going to call him Fonny now. Yeah. Because that's what that's that is his name mm-hmm. and if you're going to be you, we want you have to be family mm-hmm. if you're going to come on board if you're going to make this work so you have to call him Fani. Yeah. Um but how everyone else is certainly giving it their you know they're working their hardest and they believe that they can do it but they also know that more likely than not yeah. it's not going to happen the odds are stacked against them and that conversation is so fascinating to me fascinating to me on that level. Yeah. Just in that they're both right. They are. They're both right. There are a lot of conversations where both people are right. Mm-hmm. Like Victoria Rogers and Sharon in Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico. You can't deny either of their truths in that moment. And that's what's really fascinating about what Barry Jenkins is able to do as a filmmaker. He can give proper weight to everyone while still telling the story that he is setting out to tell. Mm -hmm. And doing it in such a way where we can, he somehow is able to find the, there's your balance Mm -hmm. of an ensemble family debate intimate conversations in prison behind glass flashbacks of first love developing into something more serious, a 10 minute stretch where there's a monologue where we completely detour from the movie for a minute. Mm -hmm. He's able to bring all of these things together and he does it through the style and he does it through the heart. It's just, it's just, this movie is a miracle to me and that one that it exists at all uh, in, in its form, but two, just that he's able to pull it off. I mean, think about the scene with Dave Franco, which is a little distracting for me, but I don't really care. Because That's how I, don't, I feel. It's, I don't really care. It, it is mean, as distracting we, enough. Do it I is re- like a Titanic moment. Do I really think that in 10 years, someone who is like 15 and seeing this movie for the first time is going to be distracted by Dave Franco? No. Not even a little bit. Yeah. So I think I think, I think that's a moment where you have to check your own ego. Yeah. You know? Um but just that whole scene with with the with the miming of the of yeah. the moving of the refrigerator and mm-hmm. all the furniture, mm-hmm. like that that is just such a just the the conceit of that scene, the staging of it is transcendent to me. Even though it's not the most successful scene in the movie for me, but it's I don't know. Barry clearly um, it's very trusts Hitchcock. himself That's and the trusts Hitchcock his actors. Scene in the movie, yeah. How so? Because we are the cameras focused on ghosts. <laughs> it's focused on these objects that aren't there, and mm-hmm. we are asked to imagine what. Oh yeah, the camera be. literally like follows what Fonny's mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm th- now I'm thinking about after that scene when when Tish and Fanny are walking down the street and it's around it's around <gasps> <clears throat> <clears throat> that's golden one of my hour. Yes, the and they're shouting with excitement. And just so happy that moment I just, has really stopped. And but, that's but, but the same moment they cut back to right before she gives birth. Yeah, mm. but they're bathed mm. in this golden light that's mm-hmm. coming from sunset, coming mm-hmm. through the trees. You're my golden which hour. Maybe MP3. I said golden hour, I hoping know. we were going to go there. When it actually, we won't get to talk about it because it's my 25, but 
There's a shot in Hell County this morning, this evening, of smoke behind the trees, which Ben and I both put in our letterbox yeah. logs. It's, a, it's very evocative. It's very evocative. But very evocative. I just yeah. that and did you know the the light on the gym wall shot that I referenced? I as did well? know that one. Yeah. Those are the two shots that really I was like, these say a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think that movie's kind of incredible. Maybe I'll say a little bit about it when we do that episode. But the reason I bring it up is just the way that the sun is coming through the trees and the way that it informs the mood of the piece. I think about Hale County because of the conversation that's being had behind it and that it's coming from like a tire fire. Like yeah. it's just this beauty and sort of a not so great milieu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think about the way, not that's not what Beale Street is doing in this scene, but just the way that Barry knew and James Laxton knew when to capture that light how to fill the frame with it. And just in terms of coming through the trees, I'm sure they enhanced it a little bit with some extra fill, but just lighting the way that lighting impacts mood in this movie is so masterful. And of course I often, I often feel like when you really dig in into a masterpiece, you find yourself saying things like what's so great about the camera work is that it's just in the right place at every yeah. time. And it's like, it, it, it kind of is that simple. Like it, it's transcendent. The images that it's amazing this how hard it's because it does is. everything. Yeah. No, exactly. And that's why it, 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 in a way it ironically feels like you're having a very simplistic commentary on it. When really what you're saying is like, no, it kind of like achieved the perfection that everyone's trying to yeah. reach. Mm-hmm. And the achievement of that itself is, I mean, just the act itself it, yeah. it is just as noteworthy as any interpretation of it. Because mm-hmm. it's not only cinematography, it's editing, because we're seeing the final product. So it's, the camera's at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And it creates the emotion that is, well, theoretically, the emotion that's intended. Yeah. And, or at least it produces quite an emotion in me, regardless of what was intended. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's what I spoke on the letterboxed about structure and it's also just shot structure and the way that he is able to build scenes out of what is pretty rudimentary coverage sometimes like the Daniel scene is very simple coverage but it is able to take on the sort of mythic quality in a way because it knows exactly how to match the tone and tenor of what the conversation is Mm -hmm. with We'll do a wide shot here. We'll withhold our our, our super close up as long as we can, and once yeah. we get there, it means something different because we haven't had one of these already. Right. You know, my, and my favorite moment just in that Daniel. Now that I'm thinking about it, is when Fanny gets up to get him the other beer, mm-hmm. and it cuts back on Brian Terry Henry's coverage, and just watching his face. I think that's right before he goes. I'm not sure where the conversation shifts at that moment, but his face falls. Yeah, I think he, that he is was, the moment it gets because he was. Deeper. They, I think they were still trying to like, hey, just catch mm-hmm. up. They were in their catching up mode. Hey, man, give me. They were talking about like they were digging into racism because Fanny was talking about how they're yeah. apartment hunting, but it hadn't gotten into I, the I prison think, stuff. Yeah, yet. I think that's the moment. That's Daniel when it shifts, like, and you can I've see it happened, on Daniel's face. I just face. got out of prison. Yeah, yeah, and you see it right. When he gets up, it's like Daniel has a moment to himself, like, oh, finally, I can, like, I can take this face off, yeah. you know, for a moment. And then it stays, he but stays let, heavy. But let's talk about what that face was in the first place. And then he gets to how masterful Henry's performance is when it comes to how many facets of this character he shows in such a short period of time. Just, like, mm-hmm. the joy of the meeting on the street, the somber reality of 
the monologue, which is yeah. extraordinary. Um, and then that he then j- is able to get back to the dinner table with the three of them and have that nice fun ketchup again. Like he yeah. encompasses basically like every facet of the human spirit. Yeah. And then again, speaking as a white person, but of the black experience, certainly what the film is trying to say about it, he manages to do it all. And yeah. it's insane Yeah, in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. He's so good. Truly so good. Yeah. On that moment, can we take a pee break? Yeah. How do we get back into this? Um, the last thing that I want to say about the novel. Yes. When I have these, the sex scenes, the way that James Baldwin writes sex scenes, I don't, mm. who needs Tumblr anymore? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the last thing I want to say. Does he talk about his penis? There's there some- are, there are like full page long orgasms in this fucker. Wow. Did you underline them? I probably with pencil. Did. It here's a sentence that I underlined. It's astounding the first time you realize that a stranger has a body. That's a good line. That is a good line. I'm just gonna do some readings. Yeah, do a, do some readings. Do do readings. If I can find, there was like a whole paragraph that was like my favorite that I did underline the whole thing. Um, don't you write next to the microphone? What? Because I do it all the time, and it is, it is annoying oh. when I listen back to it. Oops. And that's why I try not to. <laughs> oh, here is here is the paragraph that is probably my favorite passage in the movie. You, I mean, the What book. page is this? It's 17, so you read both it. read it. I read it. I guess it can't be too often that two people can laugh and make love, too. Make love because they are laughing. Laugh because they're making love. The love and the laughter come from the same place, but many people... But not many people go there. I literally thought about every single person I've had sex with uh-huh. after I read that and thought about were we laughing and making love? Were we just fucking? Yeah. Were we laughing so much we couldn't actually have sex? Yeah. I thought about everybody. Yeah. I mean, that is just, it is, it is, it is so true and so plain spoken. Mm-hmm. Like it's what I like about Baldwin, just from the snippets and the quotes. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I've read any of his novels. Yeah. Just what I have picked up over the years like there is an essential quality to his writing like he he does have an ability to like craft a wonderful run-on sentence but mostly like the language while completely sophisticated and elegant like he doesn't he doesn't put on five adjectives where he doesn't need to he's able to just put it in one word and with that there's like 20 words used in that entire paragraph you know cuts to it he cuts right to the marrow cut to it straight to the bone all right we only watched one movie for homework. Are since we done we read with Ghost Train? Any final thoughts? I think I've said everything. The movie that speaks I... for itself. Yeah, thank I lo- you. I I love that. That's the that's the theme of the episode. Go see the fucking movie. If there is any, if there's this one... is one of those movies where I'm like, why are you even listening to us on this one? If there is one movie just this go. year that just go see it. Yeah. What we have to say doesn't matter. This is the one. This is the one. Shut up and go. What see number? It. I mean, I guess we shouldn't it's spoil five. Fake fan, I guess. <laughs> and I braced myself for that. I, I in my head, I'm, I'm just like teasing. In my head, I, in my head, I was like, I'm just gonna say congratulations. Both of your number one is my number five, so we don't have the same number one. Yeah. Did you change it? Did you change it? I I've been. Pla- it. I've been I didn't, I didn't change. I've been shit. playing around with the whole list, baby. Oh, what's your number one now? Well, I don't g- know. I guess we'll guess. find out in a couple weeks. We know what it is. Oh, sure. <laughs> Sure. It's been that since he saw it. No, Burning was number one for a while. Yeah, we know you're gonna loop back. No, we didn't. I did in my heart. You you have done with Sama what I've done with Beale Street, which is 
we see new movies and then we're like, yeah, that's number one for a bit. And then the other movie comes back. I guess yeah. so. You yeah. did it with you first said, performed. You said, of course, this was like April, but you said that Let the Sun Shine In was going to be that for you. I know. I thought it would. But yeah. when I look at my list, I'm like, yeah, six is right. Let the Sun Shine In jumped up about 15 spots on the rewatch. Wow. It, it really changes on rewatch, I That's think. like easily one of the best movies of the year. And yeah. it reminds me a lot of Lady Bird in memory, but also in just how we assign meanings to things in retrospect mm-hmm. and just the way that Let the Sunshine In encompasses a year of a woman's relationships and yeah. which ones we only get glimmers of, which become longer stretches of the movie. It's like yeah. just the the way that we recall past lovers yeah. mm-hmm. and the way that they made us feel about ourselves more mm-hmm. importantly mm-hmm. because she, her, her identity, while certainly uh, straight through the movie being through line, is fairly fluid depending on where she is. Yeah. In the movie, even though she never really gives up too many of her values along mm-hmm. the way. I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I might have a bridge between Beale Street and In the Mood for Love. Let's hear it. So obviously we all know Claire. <laughs> I almost said Clary Jenkins. Oh, that oh, Barry Jenkins loves Claire Denis, but Barry Jenkins also loves. Um, I believe this is correct because In the Mood for Love kept getting brought up from Moonlight. Barry Jenkins is an admirer of Wong Kar Wai. We're talking mm-hmm. about In the Mood for Love today. There, are, There is a shot in... If Beale Street could talk, then when I saw it, I knew that it was an In the Mood for Love. It's been a couple of years since I'd seen it, so I couldn't recall exactly what it was. But I'm like, I know that shot. Yeah. And it is Tish and Fani in the bedroom. We have a close-up that occupies the right side of the frame of Tish. Mm-hmm. In the background of the shot, out of focus, in the blur, we have Fani either fiddling with the record player yeah. or doing something, and it sort of conjures this object of desire. Mm-hmm. Um, this, ironically, because we have one image that's out of focus and one in focus, but it kind of flattens the image, and so we have two people like who are bound together by that desire. Yeah. In the Mood for Love has this shot with Tony Long on the right side of the frame and yeah. then Maggie Chung in the background mm. slightly out of focus. Hell yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah. So there's a match, there's a mirror shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I Barry is obsessed with Wong Kar Wai. And yeah, I know. Just like, as soon as I was saying it, I was like, oh God, like he doesn't, he doesn't at Wong Kar Wai on Twitter. So like, I want to make sure I'm not putting yeah, words in his mouth. The, the references he's always talking about are Claire, Wong Kar Wai and Ho Shoshin. Yeah. We could have done a Hosho Shen. I've yeah. only seen The Assassin. I haven't seen any. Oh, The Assassin's good. I've never oh, seen a Hosho Shen. Assassin you want to talk about one? Uh, from like 2016? 20, yeah, 2015? I, I saw that one. Yeah, I think it was 15. It's you you, you want to talk about like Barry Jenkins and James Laxton knowing the right moment to capture the sun on that New York street mm. as they walk down it, mm-hmm. like after the apartment hunting? Hosho Shen manages to. Um, capture a cloud rolling in through a mountain except our two characters are on the mountain and it's a it's a wide shot but not that wide of a shot and in the middle of the drama clouds just overcome mm. the characters in the mountain as it floats along uh, it's a good film it's I like know. the that reminds me of Roger Ebert's famous praise of Bonnie and Clyde which is when they're running across the field and you don't see the cloud, but you see the shadow of the cloud encroaching upon them as yeah. they're running across the field. And like, you know, some things just happen and they're the right thing to happen with nature. And it works thematically and magically. And it's, you can't plan for I it. I love films as a accidental reflection of yeah. reality. Mm. Not not the intentional part, but... You have to use whatever's happening on the day. Happy accidents. You have to happy accidents. be open to the day. Mm-hmm. So do you want to... So that was my transition, but yeah. do you want to say more formally what we're talking so about? So we're now? talking about In the Mood for Love. 
which I think is quite a an influence on this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a complicated relationship within the mood for love. I think. Why? I'm dying to hear this. Um, I watched it as a teenager, and it just never hits me in like the guttural way I feel like other people talk about it. And I understand that's just my subjective experience. It's still a pretty flawless movie. And I think it is, the way that I think of The Tree of Life is the, like, uh, what am I trying to say? The influential movie of this decade. I think In the Mood for Love is the stylistically most influential movie of the 2000s. It's arguably the most beautiful movie that's ever been made while I've been alive. It's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna refute that. That's why I said arguably, mm. sweetie, because I'm not oh. sure if I believe it. Yeah. I'm just saying it could be argued. Does it lands on a lot of like best of the it, best it got, of the century? Yeah, it yeah. got on a lot of those lists. So I saw In the Mood for Love for the first time when I was 18 years old. This is like a formative shame that is not formative faggotry. Mm. It's formative film faggotry shame that I carry around with me, which is that. Film aesthetics, which was essentially my 101 class mm-hmm. for my film studies degree. Um, we got our syllabus. That was my favorite thing about film school. Or not my favorite thing, but one of my favorite things about film school is like getting the syllabi on day one of class and just love immediately it. scanning everything we're going to watch. Yeah. And In the Mood for Love was the first, and we watched it for mise-en-scene. It was the first movie I got to on the list that I didn't know. And my thought was, well, this wasn't nominated for any Oscars. <laughs> Oh my god! I can't believe they're showing this to us. <laughs> I love that. Why are they pushing this such frou frou art house bullshit on me? I'm trying to win best cinematography, baby. I love that. Oh yeah. my god! And then I watched it on the big screen for the mise en scène chapter and was totally um, enraptured by it. But in the mood for love was also one of the first, and I would never use this term now, but it was at the time like it felt like hardcore art film to me. Mm. Which, not at all now. Like, I, I, I love the absence that permeates the whole thing. The challenging aspects of In the Mood for Love are so affecting to me and how they convey loneliness, how they convey um, just the, the complicated relationship between our characters. But, yeah. like, they're doing performance on mm-hmm. top of their performance half the right. time. It's this yeah. weird, shape-shifting, mm-hmm. melancholy uh, object. And it, I was just so unprepared for it. Yeah. I had no idea what to make of this movie, except that it was beautiful and I loved the score. And my relationship with his deep end, I think I've seen it three times, which is not many uh, over the past 10 years. And when I was watching it today, I'm, I'm crying pretty steadily by the end. And I remember the first time I saw this movie in, in the third act where Tony Long whispers into the Cambodian temple and then walks away, his, you know, mm-hmm. whispers mm-hmm. a secret. And then he leaves and then we pan back over and there's grass growing out of the hole did not make much of a mark on me at all the first mm. time I saw it. And I was just like, I felt like I got punched in the stomach this time. I th- I mean, yeah. I think the last 30 minutes of this movie are just like punch after punch after punch to the stomach. Just like the, cl- like the, the, the almost like almost could have been nature of it. The, d- the double voiceover yeah. of them saying like, Hey, if you've got an extra ticket, I would like to see it. Mm-hmm. It's, I would I, like to see it. It's, I've just been, I'm talking cause what you were saying is, is sort of the relationship that I, originally had with this movie when I was very young. And I'm not saying that it's because I was young. It's just, I don't have it anymore, but now it hits me like Carol. Um, there's, there's also speaking of shots or movies, copying movies this is the last thing I'll say, because I'm talking too long. The, you guys know the shot in Carol when they, when Carol and Therese are going in for that, uh, that spinach and egg and poached eggs and martinis lunch. And yeah. we get the shot 
from behind yep. the booth where Therese's face is just like just peeking over the edge of the mm-hmm. booth. That's literally copied straight. Yeah, I noticed for this love yeah. as I watch it. Like, yeah, this movie is Carol. Yeah, it's Carol. It's Without the happy Carol. ending. Yeah, yeah. But it it's also me Cirque. a lot style. Yeah, it is. There's a lot. This also is just like color popping, charged mm. colors. Um, so this is only the second time I've watched it. Um, and do you guys know the can legend that is one of my favorite anecdotes ever? I just no. know that Tony won best actor for this. Um, there is the apocryphal legend is that literally the screening had started and they were still printing the final reels <gasps> and that like what? they were brought in oh my God. wet. Well, I like, knew that I love well, I knew that like he was editing until the that day. I knew I believe Wong Kar Wai did pickups like a week before it came. Yeah. Like he was shooting the movie like within the month. Yeah. Oh, and I just God. love that. I love that too. I mean, I mean, not that it really matters, but I think about like wet film for In the Mood for Love, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I bet those reds were just dripping. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I learned this in a discussion of is can even worthwhile when there's digital production because like it's you don't have the apocalypse now. You don't have directors coming in and having to make sure that it looks right because it's always going to look the same on digital. Yeah, I mean, that's a much larger conversation yeah. about what film festivals carry. Mm-hmm. And it goes beyond prestige and it goes beyond like what they represent. Yeah. But what is a film like festival? The actual function? experience of watching the movie, too. Right. Yeah. Um, sorry. What else? Oh, I. so I'm a big uh, devotee of the website They Shoot Pictures, don't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I haven't which, logged on in a while. You got me hooked on They Shoot Pictures. Which advocate. Oh, look at that banner. Which, yeah. The, what the, is it right now? Get out. The 21st century's most acclaimed Ooh, films. Oh, yeah. Because this was the most acclaimed film. Right. Based on their calculations. And I'm just, I just pulled up to make sure, yes, In the Mood for Love is the most acclaimed film of the 21st century. Wow. And on the top 1,000 of all time, I think that and Mulholland Drive are the only movies from this century in the top 100. Wow. I believe yeah. that's correct. Yeah. It's, I, I watched it for the first time maybe two years ago mm-hmm. because of that fact. Um, and I was like, how have I not seen this? And yeah. then, yeah. It's lovely. It's it's a movie that has caused me a lot of shame. Even though I do think it's a great movie, it's just one of those where I just feel like I've, I have to lie. Mm. That I love it as much as everyone else when I like it quite a bit. And Don't feel shame. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, the thing that sticks with me is the slow motion walking up and down the stairs yeah. to the, the noodles. That's, noodles. That's me every yeah. single time I go out for a burrito mm. at 10 p.m. from my <laughs> house. It's how I it's how I envision it. You guys yeah. know where I live. Like I walk down my steps uh-huh. just like with my tote bag. Is like, there a boom, gay boom, coming boom, the other boom, way? Boom, boom, <laughs> boom. No, it's not a gay. It's the man handing me my burrito <laughs> through the window. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> do, 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 do. Here's your burrito. Yeah. No, I I envision that sequence every time I go for a burrito in the middle of the night. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It's a magical little movie. It is. Tight 90. And it's not little. Well, it's only 90 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. There's, I find all of the choices and like literally every single choice in this movie to be compelling, not just in its artistic conceit, because they all work, but just the, the striking 
both absence and extravagant, or just like overwhelming nature of the wallpaper and the billowing red curtains mm-hmm. and Maggie Chung, oh my God, Maggie Chung's high collars that it's sort of like Regina George, like you know why her hair is so big, it's full of secrets. Like that's how I feel about the high stiff mm. neck collars for Maggie Chung. Like <laughs> it's, love. you know why they're big and stiff, right? Mm. They're full of repression. Like Ooh. they're full of secrets. Truly. And there, there's like a, and I'm right about this and that like there's the, there's the shot that, is when she's like coming home one night and her landlady is like, you sure have been out a lot lately. I know you're young, but like, when did your husband come back? And she's shaming her for it. And the, that shot is magnificent. The predominant focus of the shot is that collar. Like it probably occupies 75% of the frame from Mm -hmm. the left to the right. And you understand like the shame and the repression. And the landlady is out of focus that whole Exactly. But also just like the social context that, that envelops her. And this is something that Barry Jenkins does in Moonlight. And if you'll streak a talk, just yeah. in terms of framing and focus, how he is able to articulate visually how a character is operating within a certain social climate. Yeah. Of course, it's very different if you're like, you know, Hong Kong, middle class, just trying to like wrestle your jammies a little bit, like yeah. with the guy mm. next door, and then like living within a system of institutionalized racism. Of course, the stakes are very different, but they're articulated uh, similarly in yeah. the visuals of these films. Yeah. Um. I love that the the texture of the image itself really looks like it's 1960. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know where he found the film stock, but it looks like it's 40 years old. Yeah. And that I think it's just, there's such intense detail-oriented work to the period that I think Barry has ingested over his absolutely his mm-hmm. years of cinephilia well and, and it appeared in how it's in in how, how it's influenced politically because there's a whole narrative going on in the mood for love about hong kong's relationship to the rest of asia specifically to china mm-hmm. um and i'm not going to go into a whole thing about it because frankly i don't remember all the details but um but at one point i did do a little bit of research on this and i figured out exactly how how the love story is being exacerbated for lack of a better word by the political climate in Hong Kong at that Mm -hmm. time. And just, if you think about in the final chapter, how the landlady is moving out because all her family has become so spread out and disparate, um, that, that is directly linked to what eventually leads to, um, to the handover, um, a couple decades Uh after. Um, but anyway, again, I'm not, I'm not going to try and piece it together because I don't remember all the history, but that is an additional layer of it that I love. And, and just what you're talking about in terms of evoking the period Barry's doing the same thing as well as ingesting or ingesting, ingesting and then injecting like a social political climate Mm -hmm. into dazzling visuals at the same time. I just, I just like love the way this movie doles out exposition, like how you find out that both of their spouses are cheating on each other because he has the same tie and she has the same bag Mm -hmm. as Tony Mm -hmm. and Maggie. Like it is just so, of course we get the moment where we hear, uh, Tony Long's wife say like after Maggie Chung has like knocked on her door we hear her off screen say to Maggie Chung's husband like that was your wife mm-hmm. but the movie like doesn't really spell anything out like yeah. there's never a conversation that we see on screen where probably would be Tony Long being like hey let's like pretend to be our spouses mm-hmm. there's the, there's this whole like again like performance on top of the performance like there's these stretches of the movie where you are watching it like they they are confessing their love for each other they are talking about plans to deceive their spouses and to start a new life together and then you realize like they're just they're just making it up they're trying Mm -hmm. to get into their spouse's head and of course there's the moment when tony long is like 
I'm leaving Hong Kong because it's clear that you won't leave your husband and therefore like I need to go away. And then, and then she starts crying like alone on the street. Mm -hmm. And then we fade to black, I believe for a second, or we cut to black for a second. And then he's like, that was just a rehearsal. Like you don't need to get so upset. Like I'm just, I'll talk for three hours on this movie. So maybe I should keep it a little more regional rather than getting proud about it. But um, just Maggie Chung's performance is astounding to me, just in the way that you understand that she can't let herself go like this, but in a way she's impacted well, she's impacted just as much as Tony Long is by this by this affair. Yeah. She doesn't go to Cambodia to whisper about it into the whole of a temple, which then sprouts uh blades of grass, but you you understand in the scene where he does say goodbye, it might be the same scene I was talking about, and he like holds her hand and then as soon as they part, she like takes her hand and just like clutches her arm and just like moves it up. Like, I don't know. She she has the exact same desire that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just operating from different areas that can't mm-hmm. be together. Good movie, IMO. Good movie. All I really had to say was about my relationship to the movie as like therapy. Yeah. So I don't really have much else to say. This is a safe space. Because that's all I was focused on is what am I going to say? You know? I was watching it late and I fell asleep halfway through my rewatch. So that's my. (laughs) But you've seen it before. I've seen it pretty It's another movie that is just like, well, just watch it. I could watch this movie anytime. Like, no, I've, that's how I feel about it. I've only it. seen it the first time, which feels well, weird The first to me. scene with the score, and they're like, I think they're playing Mahjong? Yes. Yeah. Or, it's a Mahjong movie. And someone is, someone, there's a lady traipsing through the, the shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. Well, that, that makes me think, and, and just in the beginning, the first introduction to Maggie Chung she just has this incredible, and, and I think it speaks to the period evoking yeah. the, the way that it evokes the period. To your point, Ben, she just has like that movie star light on yeah. her. I mean, she yeah. looks like she like porcelain, but also like porcelain, like translucent porcelain filled with cream. You know, mm. and delicious. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you can't. It's, por- it's porcelain. You can't bite into it. I but- want to beat some porcelain. Yeah. Where's your toilet? Well. <laughs> So tell us, oh. what type of porcelain do you like to eat late at night after you've had three snacks, ricotta lemon cookies? There's uh, last thing I want to oh say about God. about this movie, just in, in evoking the because what the movie's so good at like articulating the gulf that can be between two people when they are sitting right next right to each next other. To, yeah, just the yes. the distance between people, yes. even if they are physically. Yeah. That's the aching in this movie. Oh, it, it's, That's, just, it's so full of longing. Yeah, but there, there's a shot it where it hurts. It's beautiful, oh, but it hurts. This movie hurts me. Um, <laughs> what I think more Barry so Jenkins gets from Wong Kar Wai and Claire Denis, which is the explicit thesis of "Let the Sunshine In," is that the greatest story that anyone can tell is about the distance between two people. Yeah, and I think that is present in this movie. It's present in Beale Street Talk. It's present in Moonlight. Present in "Let the Sunshine In," and here we are. There's no more important story. I well, I agree. Yeah, and and it's the thing about Denis, like how she knows, how she knows how to position her actors in an environment where they are both inherently just in the blocking, in conflict with each other, mm-hmm. and in conflict with the environment. Mm-hmm. All of that is in Barry Jenkins' work as well. Um, I think that he is able to be so tender and warm in moments of intimacy. Not that Claire Denis isn't, but that. That we almost just want to get gooey about Barry Jenkins when he is also just as good as delivering like yeah. environmental um, uh, aggravations is not the right word, but just like wars between people and environment. Yeah. But there's a shot in In the Mood for Love where we start in Tony Lung's room and he's 
up against the wall on a chair, and then we pan through the wall to the left into Maggie. It's actually right. the other way around, maybe, but into Maggie Chung's room, and she's doing the exact same thing, right. chair against the wall, a shot which you may have recognized from this year's joyous opus, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I continue to say that this movie is being very creative in the way that it's using its camera, and it is doing the exact same thing as in The Mood for Love in the song between Sky and Amanda Seyfried in the beginning. Not a great song, but where one's in New York, one is in Greece, and the movie is bold enough to have its camera sweep right through the wall without trying to pretend like it's not a movie. Mm -hmm. And In the Mood for Love does the exact same thing. It's obviously more effective in one. Mamma Mia. But mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting, taking the opportunity to stand up for Mamma Mia. Here we go again, because even though you won't see it on my top 25 list, it's not a movie that it's not for lack of trying that that movie exists. And and when it does something like that, I do think it's sophisticated and playful and it's elegant. And I think if you point to this much better example, you can see why I think that. Yeah. Did you see the Twitter poll recently? Okay. Which is it? Mamma Mia. Here we go again. And here we go again. One. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm just thinking. I thought it was just the phrase. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I thought you were saying, "Mommy, here we go again," and here we go again. One, <laughs> like first thing, and we're talking about this movie again. Uh, I thought. No, and the poll said, "Mommy, the title." The poll said, we Mia, here about. we go again," and here we go again. One. <laughs> here we go again. I heard that Why the not? explicit pitch Why for not? that movie was, "It's the Godfather." Yes, too. And, and it I, is the Godfather. And it is, but I didn't know that. I. I can't remember her name now um i'm this is embarrassing whatever her name is uh the main producer the brain the the brains behind the entire mamma mia franchise franchise said was like richard curtis right godfather part two that's the pitch that's extreme angela bassett very that's the pitch literally and the last thing i want to say i mean i don't know how are we on time i feel like we've um there's, call it. There's the that was me trying it. to do. Call it. You got call it. it. You there's it the out. old adage that the mark of a good director is how they shoot two people in a room. But uh, more specifically, it's the mark of a director to sh- how they shoot two people standing in opposition to each other in the same room and how the space in between them feels and whether or not we are breaking into first reformed flying through the cosmos or if it feels like we're just in this room, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? No, that was, Oh, I understand what you mean. Yeah, 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 totally. That without doing that, you still feel that. No, just like we understand that Jean Dielman and her son do not have a good relationship because of the body language and the space between them at Mm -hmm. the dining room table. Correct. Mm Mm-hmm. Nailed it. Wow. Well, Nailed it. Available on Netflix. This has been Movies IMO. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Give us five stars and uh, let us. us know. Uh, Tell us. Did you notice Stefan James's dick? <laughs> <laughs> did you notice it bounce on them jeans? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> potting on his cast. Ooh. Did you I'm notice? Pot on his... No. Are you... It's time. Are you <laughs> turned on? Did you get hot in your seat? 
Because I farted in it. <laughs> no. Boys, boys, boys. <laughs> Sexually. Sexually. Farts can be sex. All right. We're my out, name, I'm out of here. My name what? is Brandon just dramatically <laughs> shut his laptop, which I love. Because I almost just said farts can be sexual. <laughs> I, I could have said it too. I could have said it. I could have said it. Farts can be sexual. <laughs> I too can command the wind, sir. <laughs> Daniel in the bedroom. I too can command oh, the wind, no. sir. Oh no. Me, Daniel, or yes, you. Wrap it up. My name is Ben MB. You can find me on Twitter at Real.Ains. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's. Did we all notice that the family, and if Beale Street could talk, the Rivers family has the same set of coffee cups as the restaurant as In the Mood for Love and also... What? I did! Yeah. Sort of That's the insane. Sort of, sort of like the opaque... Or the green, not opaque, the green the, jade The green jade that is sort of see-through. You can see the coffee did at the Barry bottom of it. borrow them from the same Barry, set? Barry. Barry picked a pack of pickled porcelain cups. Wow. And I want them for my house. It's so adorable. if anyone knows where to get some of those, very at good. me. Like a translucent jade. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so nice, and you can still see like that the coffee is brown at the yeah. bottom. Stunning. And it also gets it sort of the... Stunning brown, brown cow. Yeah, stunning. it's going to try to make it brown coffee. Stunning. No, the only <laughs> person... <laughs> did you watch... You watched the first episode. Mm-hmm. Don't you... My, I mean, my only take on it is that Monique Hart produces herself better than Warren Beatty. Like, the mm. way that she is pushing Brown Cow Stunning, she is in complete control she of it. She sang her song. Yeah. She's <laughs> dancing to it. She's debuting that tune. But it's like, it's she she knows exactly how she's going to come across. Mm. She knows exactly how to market herself and to use this opportunity of All Stars 4. Yeah. And, like, I think I maybe have heard someone say that, like, Monique and then also Monet Exchange need to just, like, cool it a little bit on the self-promotion. But I'm like... They both know this is the last time they're going to yeah, be on the show. That's like, what they're there for. And at this point, especially, like mm-hmm. the past few seasons, yeah. like it's. It, it almost, You're on All Stars. Yeah, exactly. This is your shot. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. Yeah. Shoot your shot. Yep. So this has been the Drag Race episode. Oh, I'm Brandon Kirby. You can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. Thank you. Next week. <gasps> Next week. We are talking about the year's Next most week. anticipated film that. The director only read for the first time in August. Three months ago, this movie was born. <laughs> they shot it in a week. <laughs> On loose leaf paper. I'm sure that the editing process was the editor edited and Clint was like, Good. It's good to go. I'm a skeleton. And then of course and then of course the editor knocked on the door and was like, Clint, I'm in the other bay. Who are you talking to? <laughs> And Clint Eastwood is just talking to an empty chair in front of a blank oh. monitor. Oh, political oh. commentary. Well, of course we're going to dig into yeah. politics when we talk we about when we talk about <clears throat> watching the mule, the jewel, mule, 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 mule. Clint Eastwood. I am the mule. Swan song, theoretically, until the next swan song. Because he's been doing swan songs for twenty eight. That's right. Years. He's going to swan song until he dies. Well, yes. Officer, these are my pecans. He will literally Have you not tried my niece's pecan pie? He will literally I die you. on set good. making a movie, and he will have it stipulated in his contract that the movie is still released. You know, oh, of course, he, and he will win. An That's Oscar how hard he it. works. You can. It shows. It goes. He goes like this. In that. Car this is shot. not a visual medium. <laughs>
Brandon just looked like Skeletor. Oh, just he, like full jack o' lantern. He's conservative I, Skeletor. I can't wait to see this movie with my parents over Christmas. I'm seeing it on Christmas Day. Nice. Maybe I'll see it after this. I don't know. Wow. This comes out actually on wh- Christmas Eve. I'm seeing it tomorrow, What's, folks. Yeah. I will likely see the movie when I get back, like on the day. Mm. Fuck yeah. And, we're, and what are we watching Fuck for homework? Yeah. We will be watching two of his other. Late films that he directs and stars in both. Sully. Wait. Stars in. <laughs> I don't know kidding. if they, I don't know about late with one of them. Yeah, that's true. I, I consider it late. Bridges I, is I mid. consider I know it's crazy. He just but keeps I, on living. I know. Which I've, is great. I I, I, I consider Unforgiven the start of late <laughs> Clint. Well, it kind of Because it is. He was reckoning with his legacy mm-hmm. twenty seven years ago. Yeah. But so fucking good movie, by the way. We are watching the Bridges of Madison County. The movie that has the scene that is both my favorite acting in the history of filmmaking and the scene that if I was ever going to teach a class on direction, that's the scene I would show. The Bridges of Madison County. Also, the basis of the best piece of musical theater in the past 10 years, which I'm going to talk about on like Is no, Hamilton based nothing, on The Bridges of Madison County? Nothing to do with this. What? Is it Hamilton? Yeah. Yeah. What? The Bridges of Madison County, the musical. Huh? I'm going to talk about The Bridges of Madison County, the musical, even though it has nothing to do with Clint Eastwood. No, but I mean, so basically Lin-Manuel Miranda was like, Madison, that's a boring, that's a boring figure in American history. How about Hamilton? Ever heard of that guy? So he basically transposed Mm. Madison's Bridges and his titular county, turned it into a much different piece. You know, I had no idea. And now he stars in Mary Poppins. And then we're also watching... Oldest winner for best director ever, Million Dollar Baby. Mm. Fellow film fag Matter Spammer, you are welcome. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is, I think, the best, best picture winner of my lifetime. Mm. Better than Moonlight? It is the best, best picture winner of my lifetime. Mm. That's a lot of silence. That's a lot of dead air. And we can get into that after you guys have seen it again and seen the light. How do I see? Or the lack of light, because it's a very dark film. Very moody. How do I see the musical? Why do you have to go and buy me a house? I'll send you some YouTube links. Thank you, Dad. The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. 